Let's go. Hi, this is Joe from the Level Up Your Gym podcast. We have a big show scheduled today with Brendan Rerick. He is a young legend in the fitness industry. He grows much better facial hair than I do. He has a better background than I do. And I've had the pleasure of working with him the last couple months on the business side as he opens up his facility out in California. But Brennan's always been really good and has a, a deep understanding of how to relate to members as a coach and how to train staff. And that's the next level when you're starting your gym, you're kind of that solo entrepreneur and you do it all yourself and then you try to make your first hire and you have no idea how to educate staff and to hold them to a high standard. So we have a big show scheduled. Um, I wanna introduce you and, and let him introduce himself for a minute. My man, Brendan, what's going on? What's going on, Joe? Thanks for having me on. Um, well, I guess to your point, I appreciate the young legend comment. I don't think of myself as that, but if somebody else, actually one of my rules in my new book is that you never ever call yourself an expert. You let other people do that for you because I don't trust anybody who calls themselves an expert at anything, but if you want to give me an award and call me an expert, then I will gladly or humbly accept that, but never call yourself one. So You mean I can't put guru next to my name on YouTube and everyone believe that I am a, a fitness guru? No. Well, <laughs> you might trick people for a little while, but the funny part about that is, is anyone I've ever met in person who has like expert or guru next to their name on their LinkedIn profile is never, ever an expert or a guru. Uh, and they usually have sold their soul to to earn that title that they've given themselves. So, <laughs> Well, let me back up my big claim then, that young legend. So we go back about 11 years ago, and there was a circle of people in the fitness community kind of up and coming at the same time. And Brennan and, and Kevin were two of the youngest in that, in that circle. They were getting on early in their early 20s. And there's a lot of kind of these gatekeepers in the fitness industry where you'd see the same people at the same conferences, just pushing themselves to learn more. And one of my early mentors, uh, James Smith, Diesel Strength and Conditioning, opened a lot of doors for me, got me in a lot of places. And we were doing a workshop together up in, let's say, New England. I don't remember if it was Vermont or New Hampshire. I think it was Vermont. It was Vermont because it was by Dartmouth College, I remember, because it was a four-hour drive from Boston. Well worth it. I'm going to put words well in your mouth. Well <laughs> and uh, Smitty, myself, and Scott Caulfield, who went on to be the NSCA uh, educator now at the College of Colorado, were putting on this workshop. And, and there was the same group of, of youngsters coming up. When I say youngsters, um, makes me feel old. And that was over a decade ago. And that's a lot of them have faded off. But Brennan has, and he's actually gone deeper working with the internship program at, at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, or running the internship program there, starting his own facility, creating his own products and education. So we have a huge background of information coming at you today, and I just want to provide you with that so you know that you're getting true expert advice, and he won't say it, and I won't put it next to his name because it'll make him, <laughs> it'll give him a big head, but... It, I do mean that. So I'm excited to have you on the show. And what's the name of your new book? So the name of the book is Coaching Rules, a how-to manual for a successful career in strength and fitness. So the reason why I, I wrote this book was because there's a lot of books out there on coaching theory and all the science that backs up that coaching theory but there weren't a lot of how-to type books, in my opinion, at least the how-to book that I felt like 
I could hand to a young coach and they could hit the ground running. Uh, theory is great. We need theory. We need science. We need to back up all of our work. But I also wanted something that, as you know, with young trainers, one of the best ways to learn how to train people is to start training them. And you have to start somewhere. You can't just read books for seven years and you're magically a trainer. You actually have to train people. And when I was at my coil strength and conditioning, when I was handed the internship program, uh, no one before me had put down or put up, put down anything in words or anything that was tangible that I could work my way through or hand to our intern class. So I started creating these materials over eight years ago. And I once, when I started, I wrote a article. It was 33 things I wish I knew at Mike Boyle's strength and conditioning before I started my internship. Cause I thought that would be, Hey, that's a great way to know right away. Like what I shouldn't, shouldn't do what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Uh, and actually I would say probably half of these rules now are from that article that I wrote seven years ago. And I've just built on those. Now, the other thing is that the, I really wanted this book to be something that was simple that you could grasp right away, which is why I picked rules. So every, a lot of people think of rules as they're, they're a confining box that, uh, well, if I just follow all the rules, then there's a lot of uh, books now and people that are spouting like, forget the rules, like come up with your own rules, like go again, like be creative, stuff like that. But you need to know the rules in order to break the rules. So, yeah, and I, I think that's part of the dichotomy of young trainers, not to throw you off your pace, yeah. that you, you need to expect them to understand kind of the science and practice, but then they need the experience of being able to do in a real world situation because you're not going to talk science to whether you're doing athletes or adults, you're going to put them to sleep. So you kind of have to have these guardrails or rules that Brennan is talking about where, yeah, you get a little bit of leeway to the right and the left, but you go too far, you hit the guardrail. So you got to be able to reel it in. You stole my word. I love, I was just about to say, you want to make guardrails to help guide them. And what the guardrails do is they lead you to a better decision. So based off of Coach Boyle's experience, and then my experience and the many other people that came before me, their experience at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning as our example, we have worked out what does and doesn't work for us. So why have an intern or somebody who's new try to reinvent the wheel? So we give them these guardrails and then we say, stay within them. Now you, you have some leeway. And once, once you've learned the rules of the road, then you can kind of start adding in your own stuff, testing new things. Uh, and so I, the way I, the, the back of this book, it says, this is the book. I wish I had when I started coaching 11 years ago. That's why I wrote this book. This is the book I wish I had when I began coaching. Uh, and for the young coach, it's a wonderful platform to begin training. And for a veteran coach, it's a wonderful reminder of maybe things that you had forgotten about, or it's a kind of a confirmation bias, like all the things that you thought, like, oh yeah, like, okay, other people think these things too. And for a business owner, this is, in my opinion, which is why I wrote it, is 
something you can hand your people right away and work through with them. So uh, when you and I were speaking about the book before the call, what I didn't mention is that there's actually deliberate practice sections at the end of each section of rules. So I have three different sections. So there's a communication section. So those are your, your physical communication and your verbal communication, coaching cues, how you speak to people, uh, the relationship that you build with them. And then there's a programming section. So actually I'll go back a step. So uh, section number one is called communicate clearly. Well, don't go, don't give them the rules yet. Okay. I wanted to give one more preface before I let you get into the rules. All right. Well, then I'll say that the deliberate practice section number two is programming. So I, I have you audit your own programming right now. And then I have you ask yourself a bunch of questions and then you go through and you make changes. And then the last section is your legacy. So the big thing about coaching is that, or being a trainer or fitness trainer is that 15, 20 years ago, like when we started, there weren't a lot of people, there was a handful of people that were doing it as a actual career, which is why you mentioned in the beginning that a lot of those people are not even coaching anymore. Right. Right. So if you want this to be a career, so I'm slated to retire in 2055, that would be 46 years of training and coaching. If I want to make that a career, then I have to think about my legacy and what I want over the next 20 years or 30 years, because if I'm going to do this for as a retirement, because a lot of people do it just as a hobby or just as a job or like, Hey, I'm good at this. Like I'll do this for a little while while I work my, my normal or regular job during the other days, I'll do this part time. And I didn't write the book for them. I wrote the book for career coaches and so then I get you to really question like what do you want on your coaching tombstone right is it that I had 50,000 Instagram followers and I could bench 350 or is it like I helped a lot of people be really successful and reach their goals and I have a lot of people I can now call on and I created a lot of or I helped a lot I mentored a lot of people to become men and women that serve the community and like not just like i got a bunch of people strong right so uh, i don't know why really, I, I i don't know why i'd want my bench to go down to 350 <laughs> i'm just kidding no not at all but with with this podcast and the, and the people listening you're gonna get the coaches that that they will benefit largely themselves but there's another level and i was just writing an article this morning uh submitted on a, a a major website hasn't been accepted yet. So I don't want to say for whom, but part of that article is kind of the six reality checks of a young gym owner. And part of that reality check is that you will need to hire someone if you want some freedom and you will need a plan to pass them. There's a lot of things that you're going to do naturally. And you can't assume that next person is going to do it. You actually have to give, have an education plan. And what we're giving you today, what Brent is going to outline are some some areas where you should put some serious consideration into before you ever make a job posting, before you ever make your hire, you need to have some sort of staff education. So they have clarity on the expectations. You put down what you do. So your members get a, a consistent experience. So you don't step off the floor and membership dips. This stuff's going to prep you a lot for business. It's just not sets and reps. It's, it's very little about sets and reps. It's about how, how you treat your members and it's how you hire and train your staff. And I'm going to release him to go through his rules now. Go ahead. 
Uh, to to your point there, yeah. the when uh, rule number four I have here, I open with, do you really want to be training people at 6 a.m. in the morning until 7 p.m. at night when you're 55 years old? Right? Like that, you do it when you're 20 and maybe in your early 30s. But if you want to do this for 46 years, you're going to need <laughs> some different avenues, especially as because the whole thing is energy and reputation. You saw this in my checklist product that you um, mm -hmm. commented on, is that it, it's a dichotomy between energy and reputation. And you need to have a lot of both and you need to manage that over a very long period of time. Because if your energy drains down and you burn out, you're screwed. Or if you start cutting corners and your reputation within your gym setting is like, hey, Brendan's Brendan's being a, a jerk today. He's not paying attention to me. He stopped uh, over delivering for whatever reason. I haven't gotten any messages from him. He, his new newsletters six weeks late. So like those are the two things you need to be able to manage and coaching rules will help you both with energy and reputation. So section number one is communicate clearly. And that's going to be your, your coaching cues. And that ends with, so there's 33 rules within communicate clearly. Uh, and number one is your demo, 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 because we are visual learners. And even if your auto, like your auditor, auditory verbal cues suck, if you demo it really, really well, and you demo it full speed, people are going to do whatever you, they're going to probably ignore what you say and just demo exactly what you have visually shown. Now that's not to say verbal cues aren't important, but the, the big thing I see a lot of coaches do is they just verbally say what to do, but they don't actually demo it or they can't do the exercise themselves. Um, and I, I always use the example of going to other countries. So I've had the, the opportunity to teach CFSC in Brazil. So in, in Portuguese in Italy and Italian, uh, in China, um, if you demo it really, really well, they can't verbally understand anything I say, but they'll give you exactly what you want. And yeah, we have a translator and stuff, but I don't know what the translator's actually saying. He could be completely making it up. Uh, but so like your demos are so important. And we've realized that if you just demo really hard, really well, it doesn't, your verbal cues should add to what you visually do. So that's just one of the 33 33 rules as an example. And at the end, your deliberate practice is to film yourself doing five exercises. And then I want you to have either a friend, a coworker, or a boss film you coaching a one-on-one -on -one personal training session or a group training session. And yes, it, it's, a, it's embarrassing. Nobody likes listening to themselves. I don't even like listening to my old podcast, but I do because that's how you improve. Every single team that has ever won a championship or any individual who's ever won a championship watches film of themselves. Tiger Woods, the Williams sisters, uh, every football, basketball, baseball, they all watch film. It should be the same thing for coaching. So you're going to film yourself coaching a bunch of exercises using what I call the PAF checklist, which is position, action, feel. So you can coach any single exercise. If you just tell me what position to get in, 
what action I'm going to do and where I'm supposed to feel it in my muscles. Cause it's amazing how many of your clients have no idea what to even feel <laughs> said exercise. And then you're going to sit down with a survey or a little self-assessment and go through and watch yourself coach when you uh, are one-on-one -on -one or in a group setting and you go through all the rules. So were people loud enough to hear me? Did I give great demos? Did I, were my cues uh, clear and concise? Did I use external cues more than internal cues? So you take the 33 rules and then you apply them to the videos that you've made of the individual exercises and of you coaching a group. Uh, and I would love if people just, even, even if you had to pay somebody to film you, it's worth your time to watch a video of yourself coaching. Do you cross your arms? Can people even hear you? You might not even be able to hear yourself on video, which means that people can't hear you in the group. So um, that's number one is communicate clearly. And then we end with a deliberate practice there. I'm going to add a little bit from the business yeah. world too, very specifically on this, that when you hire someone new and they're a young strength coach and they're probably going to have to work a split schedule or they're going to have to work weird hours, like Brendan mentioned, we got to get up early, you got to work late, that part of the value they get out of their job is continuing education. They're a trainer because they want to learn more about the practice of training. And if you just get them in and put them out and say, good job, you're not fulfilling that need. And that's another way to compensate someone other than salary alone is an opportunity to be a mentor and, and going through this process. Yeah. It sounds arduous to video and break it down. But as a former athlete doing college football, we had to do that for an hour every single day. And uh, yesterday's practice, we'd watch over and over and over again on repeat over and over and over again, but that's what made us a lot better. So I think you, you can get a lot of respect from your staff if you're investing the time into mentoring them and making them better trainers as well. Yeah. R rule number two. Okay. So rule number two and three are actually a combination. So I tried to every, they say to do everything in threes, but I couldn't do it. So rule number two and three are for programming. So number two is do no harm. So there's, there's 20 rules on keeping people safe because if you keep people safe with the exercises that you select, you build trust. And if people trust you, they'll give you their money and they will never go anywhere else. Uh, and this is where I won't use names, but other companies and other training systems lose people is they literally try to break you and the people who don't break are the ones that we hear about that they champion, that they put on their um, Instagram and their Facebooks and they, they bow down to these people and then they use them for marketing. But what you don't hear about is all the people that either got broken, that left because it was too much, who got injured and now can't even work out anymore and have to go to a physical therapist. So number one is the, the Hippocratic Oath as of a doctor and of a strength coach is to do no harm, keep people safe, which builds trust, which means that the way you select exercises and the systems that you use, so now we get a little bit more into the X's and O's here, should accommodate for the person's abilities and where they're at. So it's never ever hey, here's uh, what we're doing on the whiteboard today. Uh, I don't care if you can't do it. Uh, you're going to do it anyways. And go, everybody go, disperse. Like, 
it's just here all on the whiteboard and I'll stand around and, and watch. I'll tell you what, I love those companies because they've made me a lot of money because we built our company on saying, we're going to personalize every workout for you. And yeah, we have a framework of what we want to do and you should. And what Brennan is saying is you got to make sure you're meeting people where they're at. If someone's first day and you set them up with a member that's been there for three years and you put them on the same program, either your program stinks or you don't understand what a new lifter is going to going to go through. Right. And the best example I can use there is, is, so we'll take a squat, right? So we have 12 people in a group and I have goblet. I actually say I have front squat written right here on the whiteboard. Okay. Everybody's got front squat today. So the person that has been coming for three years is most likely going to be front squatting and say we have three of those people in the group out of, we're going to say we have nine people. The other three people either don't have the mobility or don't have enough practice yet. Maybe they've been coming for a couple months, so they're going to goblet squat. Then you have your three beginners who are brand new. They've never worked out in their life. They're going to do an assisted squat, or they're going to do a heels elevated squat. They're going to do body weight squats. They're going to, we're going to accommodate the workout to them. We're not going to, put, we're not going to force them in a square peg into a round hole and force them to do what's on the whiteboard. We're going to adjust the whiteboard to what their abilities are. And that way you still have everybody training in a group, they're just all doing the version of the squat that's best for them. So that's part two of, of coaching rules is do no harm. And then there's 20 to 25 rules about that. And part of the nuance of doing it for a while combines your first two rules that you have to be very careful with adults, egos and personalities that come in. They're just not a physical body. They are emotional, mental beings. And if you put front squat up on the board and say everyone's going front squat and then you look at someone and say you're probably not ready go to goblet squat oh you probably came a goblet squat why don't you do assisted squat you're not communicating it clearly and they feel like they've been demoted instead of set up for success so doing it the right way but you have to kind of work in those nuances that you get as a trainer and if you're teaching new staff they're not going to get it right away you never want someone to to fall apart not even physically but just mentally before they even start their lift and the way you communicate that do no, do no harm principle. Right. And the, the two ways I get around that is either on the whiteboard, I just write squat. Yeah. Right. Everybody's squatting. And then the coach has the, the final say, like you're doing front squat, you're doing goblet squat, you're doing, and then you have a conversation or on the whiteboard, I write all the regressions and progressions. So on the whiteboard, I have front squat, goblet squat, assisted squat, and then people are like, oh, well, which one am I doing? And I'm like, okay, well, you're doing this one, you're doing that one, and you're doing this one. And then you can explain like this version over here is the one for the people who have been coming for two plus years. You are a beginner, so we're going to start you over here. Um, so it's a much easier conversation to have other than like me just putting up front squat and being like, ah, no, you, you're, you're, too, you're a loser. You can't do that or you, you're not ready for that yet. So it's much easier dialogue to have if you just have it all set up or like you're saying, if I know what my regressions and progressions are, because I've been taught as a coach, uh, if we're all squatting today, I'm going to give the best version of the squat to each person. Yep. And a little veteran tip is try to take the onus on yourself for the decision of what exercises they're doing. They don't say here's hard, medium, beginner, 
choose what's best for you. No, you're the trainer. You need to prescribe it. And I always take the onus on myself. But if someone's just started, I'll say, I'm going to have you start a goblet squat. I know you might be able to progress quickly out of it. And just let me know how you're feeling after this session. But just for my own sake, I want to start basic, check all the moves. And as we get to know each other, I'll be able to progress you faster. So it's not their physical ability. It's just, hey, I'm getting to know you. I'm chipping short of the green. That's how the pros play. And then we'll get to where you want to go. Right. And it's, it's not about today's workout, right? We're, we're thinking two years from now, we have about 150 more workouts. If you come in two to three times a week, like we're not worried about today's workout. We're worried about workout number 150. So beautiful. Next rule. I love that one. Okay. Number three, keep it simple. The, uh, I'll use an example. Somebody asked me the other brand new trainer. They asked about uh, triphasic training. And I said, yeah, it's good stuff, but you train kids between the ages of 12 and 15 and adults over 60. You do not have one person in you that's paying your bills. You don't have one person that's paying your bills that needs triphasic training. Like that is the 1% of the 1%. Like I love triphasic training. I love the conjugate method. I love, I studied all those things. I've done all those things. West side barbell, blah, 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 blah. But power lifters, Olympic lifters and people doing that stuff do not pay my bills. <laughs> and I would say 99% of trainers I work with, the, the idea should be you get good at what we call our big rocks. So at MBS or at CFSC, our certified functional strength coach course, where we teach all these regressions and progressions, we have eight big rocks. We have single leg deadlift. We have push up. We have goblet squat. We have chin-up or dumbbell row, whichever one that is. We have front plank. We have half-kneeling uh, half overhead press, kettlebell deadlift, and I'm missing one, and I don't know what it is, but that's most of them. So we have these big rocks. We know what we want everyone to be able to do, and we just revolve our, most of our program around getting people to be proficient at all of those things. Now, once you're proficient at them, you can then move on to whatever the next step is, whatever you decide that to be. But those eight things will grab 80% of your people. So keep it really simple, right? Bruce Lee didn't fear the person who did 10,000 kicks. He feared the person that did one kick 10,000 times. And there's a good reason for that. Yes, there is a part of this that is entertainment. Like you got to keep people interested if they're coming, but that doesn't mean you have to deviate from your principles all the time to keep everybody happy. Uh, because again, if you go past that do no harm measure and you start hurting people or whatever, every, every person who gets hurt, you lose money and they lose time and their health and they're going to go either somewhere else or they're paying someone else. So do no harm and keep it simple are my two really, really big programming rules. And then the deliberate practice section is you take three to five programs that you're currently using or even your own program. And I want you to audit yourself like you are the judge and the jury. And you go line by line and you say, okay, why is this here? Does this make sense for this person, their goals? Is this a waste of time? Why am I doing this? Or like it's a dissertation, right? Like your, your thesis. I want you to go through every program and say, why is this here? And really challenge yourself because there's a lot of people that hand me programs and I, you know, I either one say, why is this here? This doesn't 
make sense or two have you ever done this program yourself because if you give this to to nancy who's 60 years old you're gonna crush her she's not gonna be able to walk tomorrow so like maybe you should do this program yourself before you give it to somebody um so that that's the checks and balances that i'm creating with rules number two and three which are do no harm and keep it simple yeah, I like have them do the program first. We had one young trainer that had – she hadn't done it. She put two minutes of supine rows on there. I'm like, all right, go ahead and do two two minutes of supine rows right now. Like, I mean, God bless. She made it to about 45 seconds. Like, that's hard. Like, it's – I can't imagine giving that to an adult client. They just need the perspective of keep it simple. You can't assign that to someone you don't know. You need to build a relationship before you give them a challenge one. And usually our challenges are on smaller muscle groups anyways, because it's again, kind of what they want to feel, but we're doing no harm. We're not going to give them, you know, squat as many times as you can for 10 minutes. We might do, Hey, do this Tabata, well, 20, 10 timing, not true Tabata tricep pushdowns or something that's not going to hurt them, but they'll get that feeling uh, of uh, kind of gamifying a little bit. Like you said, edutrainment. Is that what you, see, I used to be in uh, education as a high school teacher, and they had edutainment. So yeah. I got to get a – it's all different versions of edu, uh, entertaining people. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, you do. You do have to keep them interested. You do have to give them, give them a little entertainment. But there's ways you can do it that, are, that stay within your principles that don't put anybody at risk. So that's the big thing, big thing there. And um, big rule number four. Number four is serve others. So the, when I originally made this rule, it was, it's not about you anymore, was my original rule. But that wasn't very, I wanted actionable steps. So when somebody asks me, what are my coaching rules or what's my coaching philosophy? It's communicate clearly, do no harm, keep it simple and serve others. So serving others is an actionable item. But really, it's about, it's not about you anymore. Like, it's not about like, yes, you need to fill up your cup. You can't pour from an empty cup, but your workouts are not the number of trainers that I had worked with that would train two and a half, three hours a day. They would take uh, a two hour lunch break and then eat, spend $40 at lunch at Whole Foods and wonder why they didn't have any money or anybody to train was they were overfilling their own cup and not filling up enough other people's cups. So it, the, the premise is, is that it's about other people. And if you want to do this again for a very long time, for 40 or 45 years and retire with a retirement account that you can actually live off of, you better serve other people as a coach um, because other people are what it's all about. Their success and the more people you help, the more successful we all seem to become. And the more people who are willing to pay either for my services or want a piece of what it is that I can offer or do, which you can then disseminate down to other people, like you're saying, making your first hire and then promoting them. So my, the whole goal is to create more leaders not more followers so your clients are your followers i want to create more leaders who have their own followers and then we get a small percentage of that right that's what business is yeah. um, and so that if i can help 10 trainers who can help 10 people each i help 100 people as a trainer i can only help so many people there's so many followers or clients at a time 
So if I have people that I can help, so this book, my, the, the, the idea of this book is if 10, if a thousand coaches buy this book and each of them have 10 clients, I've just kind of helped 10,000 people, which is really what we're trying to do here. So it all comes down to serving others and what you want your legacy to be, right? Does it, do you want it to be that I trained 10 people a day, six days a week for 30 years? Like that's not my end goal. My end goal is to help as many people as I can. And actually my mission is to make physical activity the number one prescribed drug in the world. Now, it's a very lofty goal, like it seems ridiculous, but if I use that as my, like my North Star, then writing a book makes sense, then opening a business makes sense, going and speaking at Perform Better makes sense, putting a ton of energy in the education that I offer for CFSC makes, makes a lot of sense to me. So like, what is your North Star? What do you want your coaching tombstone to say? How are you gonna make this a career that you can retire from and not just a job that you work 10 hours a day or slave over uh, and how are you going to perpetuate your, whatever your mission is. And so uh, the deliberate practice section is number one is what's your mission statement. Number two is what's your training philosophy. Number three and four are writing your own coaching obituary. So uh, after, after somebody trains with you for, for three to five years, what do you want that person to say about you 20 years from now about training with you that like, Oh, Brendan gave me a bunch of good sets and reps and spotted me on my bench. Or like Brendan taught me a lot about keeping my body healthy and uh, how to eat well and how to make sure that this is part of my like habits that I have for the rest of my life. And I've been able to, he taught me how to train well so that I wouldn't get hurt in the gym. Like I much rather have somebody tell me that than like, they got me to bench 405, right? So, and then the final part is, is like, what are you doing daily to further your own education? Because nobody's going to do it for you. So maybe you do have a mentor that helps you out, but it's up to you. So the final piece is what are you going to do this month, this week, 90 days, and then one year? What is your education plan for getting better? And maybe it is going through, this coaching rules deliberate practice multiple times. Um, I, the, I encourage you in the book to put this book, to go through this book, do all the deliberate practice, put it away for six months while you test it out and use it, and then open it back up again and then do the deliberate practice sections again. So it serve is, others is number four. It is ironic that our paths have crossed again and you share that North Star. I actually didn't know that that was your, your end goal. When I first started Level Up Your Gym, I put it on the Facebook page. Okay that one of my end goals is to help fitness owners become serious business people. So they are taken seriously by the medical field and yeah. they they're getting the referrals and they are seen as a continuation of healthcare and not just like a meathead that runs a gym, which most of them aren't. I'm not saying that, but that there's a stigma that we have to educate business owners and help overcome. And you're doing the training side and it's something I'm passionate about on the business side. So cool that our paths are crossing again. I love the, the outline of this book because as a business owner, you can take these four rules, go through them, write them down right on the front staff handbook. And now you have a way to train your staff and help elevate them and them see value for coming to work for you. So when's I don't believe this book is launched quite yet. Hopefully this podcast will be up before it's launched or the same week. 
where can people learn more? So the book right now is available on Kindle, but it'll be available on in paperback and on Audible. Uh, that was that was a whole. Audible is really difficult to do. Are you right? reading it? Writing the book was hard. I read it, and oh man, there's just so many things. That, that's a whole nother podcast. But go to brendanreerick.com. So b r e n d o n r e a r i c k dot com, or you can go to coaching-rules.com. So there's two places. There's my personal website, brendanreerick.com, and then coaching-rules.com. So I've also created a course that goes with this for people who don't have a mentor or people who want me to go through it with them. So I go through for six weeks. We do all the deliberate practice sections together, and every week is a 30-minute call where we review your videos, we review your programming, and we, we review uh, your mission statements, your training philosophy. So there's at coaching-rules.com is the book, but also the course that, the sister course that goes along with it. If that should be something you're interested in and you don't have a mentor or somebody like that in your life to do that for you, so. That's beautiful. I highly recommend checking it out. Everything that, that Brennan's put out is done with a sincere passion and knowledge for the fitness industry. And I will try to put those links. If you're watching this on YouTube below, if you're listening to just the straight podcast, we'll put it on our website in the show notes. So you can click over and check those items up and out and uh, hang tight here, Brendan. We're going to get on our level up call here shortly, but I just want to sign off and say, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you to Brendan for joining us and spending nearly an hour of his time with us today and uh, do check out the book. It's going to really benefit you as a trainer and as a business owner. Any final words? No, just thank you, Joe. Thank you everybody for listening. And uh, I'd love to hear from you what you think of the book, coachingrules at gmail.com too, if you want to send me a little message about what you think. So thanks everybody. Thanks. Yeah, send them a little spam. See you guys. <laughs>